0: Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> The Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by ComBock Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of the Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and, of course, living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Combox Feeds. At Combach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all-natural, antibiotic-free with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Combach Feeds. Find a dealer at CombachFeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Combox Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer. All righty. Thank you very much for staying with us today. And, hey, we've got a great show lined up for you. This is the first time this year that we've had poultry veterinarian Dr. Maurice Patesky here with us. And we're talking, or he's going to be discussing, about uh, feed conversions, including, I guess, how to calculate them, why it's important, uh, what we need to look for, and, and how to do all of that. I don't think we've ever had a show in the last eight years on this particular topic. And uh, if you miss any of it and uh, tune in or have to run out halfway through the show or something, uh, you know these shows are archived for your Listening pleasure, so you can listen to the show fourteen other times if you want to, three AM if you want to, all of them. We've got over a thousand episodes that are archived for your listening pleasure. So thank you very much uh, for doing that. So great show lined up for you today. I'll bring uh, Doctor Poteski on here in just a few minutes. Wanted to give you an update on some things. Um, I believe all, uh, really, an update on the the new book, um, the uh, Factor Chicken Poop that we are uh, uh, working on. I believe all of the contributors for the book have received their statements that they're going to start working on. Uh, Maurice is included in that, uh, thank goodness, and uh, so, so they've all kind of started working on those. We've issued the statements out, um, and they're going to be start working on that. We have a statement that maybe we found on a blog or a forum and um, the experts are going to do uh, some research to see if there's anything out there that they can find that proves that, that, you know, if it's fact or chicken poop. And then, bonus, um, if the statement um, kind of warrants it, they're going to reply with something that, you know, kind of has been proven to work. So, example, um, and we use this a lot, we'll say uh, pumpkin seeds are an all-natural dewormer for chickens, and then they'll say, hey, we we have found nothing at any university, any studies, uh, Google Scholar, anywhere, um, our own research that shows this to be true. Um, But guess what? Now, here are some things that you can use um, if you... um, suspect internal parasites with your chickens. So it's it's going to be an awesome publication, um, and I believe the um, publisher has it scheduled to be out uh, next year, uh, hopefully by spring of 18, uh, for, of course, the big chick days of spring of 18. That's what we're shooting for. Um, so that's great. We're, we're, I got the cover. The cover was sent from the publisher on, on, a, on the cover. I've approved that. Um, the official title has been approved at this point. All oh, that could, could change a little bit, but I wanted to bring y'all up to date on that because I know a lot of people are waiting on that book to uh, to be published and be and be available. So looking forward to that. Another thing uh, is uh, an update on the 2016 Salmonella outbreak. Um, y'all know that I'm um, a big advocate of, of um, education, letting people know uh, about anything and everything about that and the outbreak. And we know that last year's salmonella outbreak was the largest uh, in history related to backyard poultry regarding number of ill, number of hospitalizations, you know, the, whole nine, the number of different strains of salmonella. And so um, back in the fall, I submitted a, a public information request to the CDC. I hadn't heard anything back on that yet, um, but I did actually hear back the states uh that um where the hatcheries were of course located. And uh let's see, I believe we have California, Ohio, um, Michigan and let me scroll down here and get that. Uh California, Iowa, Michigan and Ohio. Okay, California. Iowa, Michigan, and Ohio. we also found out that the names of the hatcheries are being withheld by the request of the states, most likely the state's agricultural department, most likely the state's chief veterinarian uh, and so uh, we're we're trying to slowly but surely get to the bottom of this last year, no two years ago was the first year for whatever reason the CD decided not to release the names of the hatcheries and during that year's Salmonella outbreak. <laughs> Um, and then this past year, they were kind of uh, teeter-tottering about, well, we might, we might not, we might, we might not. And then um, that's when it was requested to me to go ahead and submit a public information request. They would have to give that information uh, out, and so we're waiting for that. Um, you all know, kind of a uh, hush-hush, that I already know who the hatcheries are, uh, but until I officially know, um, I'm not going to make it public. I also want to contact the hatchery owners, get them on the show or invite them on the show. Um, get their side of the story. I want to make it completely fair so you, the listener, can make your decision on what you want to do in the future um, and then see what they've done to try to correct the problem, if anything. And uh, just their attitude towards it, what they've done. Hey, we've started participating in the Salmonella Monitor Program. We want to do everything we can to clean this up. This is what we did. You know, we want you know we want to have a good reputation. Or if they just say, I don't want to talk about it and hang up. Uh, so you can have uh, that information. So so that's it's it's coming along. But I just found it interesting again <coughs> that the states are the ones that are. Um, um, requesting that CDC not release the names of the hatcheries in their states, and again, that probably falls back on the state agricultural department, and then of course the chief uh, state, uh, the state's chief veterinarian there. So, uh, a lot of uh, investigation to do regarding this, and the first step is to where I can officially release the names, or at least you know, I'll, I'll contact the uh, uh, hatcheries owners first before I release the see you know, and invite them on the show and um, see how that all pans out. So I wanted to give you an update on that as well <clears throat> because, uh, um, you know, hey, if there was a salmonella outbreak regarding peanut butter, you'd want to know which brand it was. When you go down the aisle where the peanut butter is in the grocery store, um, maybe uh, – so. so – that type of thing. So it's you know when when a couple of years ago when Blue Bell ice cream had the listeria outbreak and the the listeria the ice cream was all recalled and whatnot, um, you know we knew it was Blue Bell, so we could choose to either buy Blue Bell or not, and then they removed it from the shelves. So this just just information that we think that's valuable for you, because an awful lot of people um, do hatchery chicks. Millions, folks. And so, and also you get them from the feed stores, which are also buying from the hatcheries. So we just think it's, you, know, you may just decide to keep buying from these hatcheries, which is fine, but at least you'll have the information uh, to make that decision whether you want to or not. And um, so just interesting. one to keep you up to date on all of that information before we get on to uh, today's radio show. So I'll be, uh, um, as that information comes in, as we uh, get more information from the CDC, we'll definitely... Let you know. And I guess if, if you're listening for the first time or, or not, um, it's important to know this spring. We'll have something in the uh, spring issue of Chicken Whisper Magazine this year. <laughs> um, and that is that we would ask that go to order chicks from a hatchery, or even if you're buying them from the feed store, because they know what chick Because I'll be working with the feed stores very much. In fact, I'm trying to uh, distribute um, a bulletin to probably hundreds. Maybe over a thousand feed stores um, who carry the combach line of feed, uh, and get a bullet in them to say, hey, when y'all order chicks this year for your store, um, consider asking the hatchery that you're ordering from if they participate in the Salmonella monitored. Program, and we'll have a whole article on this because some, because we've already seen where it's been an issue, even with some of the hatchery employees, because you'll say, oh yeah, we're MPIP, we participate in MPIP, and they and we check for salmonella. Well, no, 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 wait, salmonella monitor program, or is it just the salmonella typhoid um, and typh- uh, salmonella forum? So it's which doesn't affect humans. It's just chicken disease. So Salmonella Monitored Program is another program they can participate in voluntarily that checks for different strains of salmonella that can affect humans, not just chickens, humans. And so when you go to order your chicks, um, just a- ask that hatchery, hey, before I order, I want to make sure you participate in the Salmonella Monitored Program. Now, be careful if they just say, oh, yeah, we're MPIP. Say, no, no, let's just go a little bit further. I, I want to know if you participate in the MPIP program, Salmonella Monitored. Um, and because um, I think I've shared this story with you before. Um, I got on a hatchery website just to see if they listed uh, they were participating in this program or not. While I was at their website, a little chat box popped up. Hey, chat with us live now. And I said, okay, I'll chat with you live now. <laughs> and uh, I uh, said, hey, I just wanted to know if you participated in the Salmonella Monitor Program with MPIB. And the person an employee says, yes, we do. All of our chickens are tested for Salmonella. And then I said... Oh, okay then and uh or so i said you know and i may have gone on i can't remember i got a screenshot of it and then uh i had um i sent him an email said hey email just want to know if y'all participate in the salmonella honor program and then i guess she put two and two together and says oh hey um I gave you the wrong information on the chat. I apologize. We, are, we do not participate. So even, even initially, um, when asked that question, they just assumed, yes, we're MPIP. All of our chickens are tested for, to, to participate in MPIP, uh, checked for salmonella, and, and, but no, not alarm typhoid. We're talking about a totally different program. So when you go, bottom line, when you go to order from the hatchery, just ask them, say, hey, we want to know if you are uh, participate in the new, the new salmonella monitor program. And if they, again, go dig a little bit deeper, not just salmonella, you know, the the basic MPIT level, but uh, the step further salmonella monitor program. And if they don't, if you figure out they really don't, then ask them why. Well, why not? Am I, as a customer, is my uh, health not important to you? Are my kids' health not important to you? You don't want to take these extra steps to check for salmonella that may affect humans like me because I'm ordering chicks from you. And then if they don't, then... You know, I'm not going to tell you where to buy from, but you might want to consider buying from a hatchery that does go the extra mile to participate in the salmonella monitored program. So as spring comes up and millions of people start ordering, um, it's something that's another thing you may want to be aware of to educate yourself on and ask when you order those chicks. So uh, just keep that in mind as well. All right, let's get over here to the phone lines. Let's get back over here to my switchboard. There we go, and we're going to bring on my good friend. Dr. Maurice Peteski and we're gonna be talking about feed conversions, what it means, how to calculate them, why it's important, things to look for, and all of that great stuff. Um uh, Maurice, thanks for joining us today. Happy New Year.
1: Yeah, happy New Year, Andy, thanks for having me again. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, yeah. thank you. And um hope hoping I had I hadn't uh, heard back. Hopefully you got your list of uh kind of statements for the Factor Chicken Food book. Hopefully you got that good and clear.
1: I did, so I'll be working on those over the next month or so. I think there's about 19 of them you'll have me work on, so um, that'll be a good uh, a good project for the next month. Thanks for including me on that. Yeah.
0: Thank you very much. for. I think it'll be an important... Uh, um, resource for for folks as well, and um, not saying that in the future some of those things may change and and whatnot but um but yeah I'm looking forward to that and thank you for being a part of that so let 's talk about this feed conversion A lot of people when you just mention oh feed conversion it 's like well, how much feed uh do my chickens consume to based on you know they 'll base it on maybe weight if they're boilers or egg production. or that. That's a lot of times the first things people say. They're going to eat this much food for this many eggs or this much food for this much maybe weight. I guess there's different types, um, but you're here to kind of clear this up. We've never talked about this, I don't think, on the show officially. So I'm glad you're here, and I think it's going to be a great topic.
1: Good. Well, before I start, just a couple things. I, I really wanted to thank you for all the work you're doing with the feed stores. I, I can't tell you how um, important that is. And you've got such a a large uh, audience that you can reach out to across the country. It, it, it's a real challenge um, getting the feed stores, and most importantly, even beyond the feed stores, getting the, the consumers um, interested in NPIP and the value of NPIP, um, uh-huh. not just for our own health, for the bird's health, um, for our own health, as you were saying, with the salmonella monitor program. I can't tell you how challenging it is to, 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 to convince people um, of the value of MPIP. And it's really one of my long-term hopes that um, consumers will start asking feed stores if they are part of MPIP. That, that is so valuable a program. And if they're not part of MPIP, are the hatcheries they work with part of MPIP? The only way that will change, um, because most hatcheries, most local feed stores are not involved with it, it, and the only way that will change is if more consumers just require it. Um, Mm -hmm. And and just very briefly, it it doesn't prevent 100% um, uh, the birds from from having a variety of diseases. Uh, However... Mm -hmm it does ensure that the birds are raised under conditions that would mitigate exposure to all kinds of diseases, not just Salmonella, but Merrick's disease and mycoplasma and all these other ones. So it's it's so important, and I really hope that people start asking their feed stores, are you part of MPIP, why not, you know, this feed store is, and, and we're literally talking about um, extra pennies on the dollar. It, it's not, it's, It everything comes down to cost, obviously, and I totally appreciate that but if we if we want to get birds that are vaccinated against Marek's, or we want to get birds that are tested uh for Salmonella or in the Salmonella monitored program um it it's it's not a significant amount of money more and it, it gives us a lot more uh confidence that the birds we're getting are are healthy so just wanted to to thank you for all the work you're doing on that. That's really important, and you've got a, obviously a an amazing audience you can reach out to so it's good that you're using um Using your 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 bully pulpit for back of for lack of a better word very 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 well yeah. so thank you again thank you
0: so much yeah that that idea just last couple of days and so I called Combach and I'd say you know I I send out a, an educational um, bulletin uh, once a quarter. Uh, and it goes right to their dealers, and it could be, you know, whatever the the seasonal issues may be, molting or or, a brew sitting of a brood or that type of thing. Maybe some questions they are going to hear from their customers. But this one just popped into my head, I'll admit, this week, saying, hey, you know, it's coming up. A lot of these feed stores, uh, let's face it, a lot of them procrastinate. Some of them probably had already ordered their their spring allotment in in November uh, when a lot of hatcheries say, hey, order now to make sure you can get your chicks in the spring. But then a lot, by far the majority, working with them will procrastinate, and so maybe February they'll order <laughs> the last couple of weeks of January, so I contacted Pompock and I said, I'd really like to put this together if we can do an email blast to your dealers, there's well over 1,000, and just let them know when they go to order uh, from whatever hatchery they're going to order for spring, you know, this is something, this terminology, salmonella monitored program, you know, asking if they participate in that I think would be a bonus, so I'm hoping we'll be able to uh, get that out to them before the majority of them order. And they can they can request that or at least ask that to the uh, hatchery. So thank thank you very much for that, and um, looking forward to uh, you're spreading the word about
1: that. Yep. No, that's that's it's great that you're doing that. So before we start talking about feed conversion, um, I wanted to just talk a little about um, why we collect data and, and what the importance of that is and talk about a couple pieces of data that I think would be really useful for um, backyard enthusiasts and or people that um, are selling their eggs um, at farmer's markets and things like that, why, why it's so important to do that. Um, I look at this through, I'm, I have my own biases like everyone else, so I'm a veterinarian and an epidemiologist, so I look at a lot of data. And um, in my mind, um, data is really important. And and the reason it's important to collect, and not just to collect, but to analyze, um, just very simply, is just because if you don't know what normal looks like, uh, if you don't know what normal feed conversion ratios are, you don't know what normal exposure to light is, and normal um, morbidity and mortality rates in your flock, then you can't know what abnormal is. So I get these phone calls often where someone will tell me, well, I had five birds die last week. And and the first question I'll ask is, is that abnormal? And if we're dealing with a denominator, if we're dealing with a flock of a 1,000 birds, that might be completely appropriate depending on the age of those birds. Um, Mm -hmm. But if we don't collect any data, we're just not going to know that. If their egg production drops a little or they, they think their egg production drops, I'll say, well, what's your regular egg production? And I'll get kind of a shrug of the shoulders. Sometimes their egg production drops because they have so many birds on their farm that are really unaccounted for and they have some predator losses and and it's because they just lost some birds that they didn't keep track of Um, and and, you know some of these backyard flocks and or pasture poultry and free-range flocks are a little more challenging to keep track of simple things like the number of birds um, but it's really important to try to do that um, as best we can with all the limitations that we have with time and money and um, things like that. It's, it's really important for us to, to, to try to figure out what the core type of data that we want to collect is. Um, for backyards, it, it, you know, it might be very simple. You've got five chickens. If there's four, you, you would notice that, obviously. And, and that might be several of the folks that are listening um, today to that. And that's really important, too, just keeping track of that really, that really basic information. And, you know, the, the reason you want to do that, like I said, we, we need to know what normal is before we can really understand what abnormal is. And it's really the, the best way, you know, when something does happen, um, which doesn't, you know, will happen, but happens, you know, often, uh, every once in a while, we want a good way to communicate with our vets and other experts because the more quickly we can communicate what the problem is and we can really kind of bear down and figure out what the problem is and, and know that that's the problem um, the better we can, the better advice that you know people like myself can try to can try to offer. So I I can't reiterate how important it is to kind of figure some stuff out. You know the other things I would say is about why we want to collect data. Um, so some people have kids and grandkids, and um, you know we always want to be. Um, I have my own biases as a scientist, but as a scientist we want to be data and science based. So if we have information in front of us, numbers in front of us. Um, then we can, we can really utilize that and teach our kids how to uh, calculate some really basic um, parameters of, of what makes our flock um, productive or not productive. And I think it's kind of an interesting challenge when we think just intuitively about what a feed conversion ratio is. We're really just trying to figure out how much feed goes into the bird and how many eggs or how much meat do we get out of the bird. And I'll go over the math on it really in in a couple minutes. But at the end of the day, we want to be as efficient as possible. We want to use as little feed as possible to get as many eggs or meat as possible. And, you know, that sounds like a relatively um, uh, intuitive concept there. Um, But unless we actually have some way of kind of measuring it, we're never really going to know how efficient we are. So in the biggest possible perspective, we think about the kilograms or pounds I'm a scientist, so we always use kilograms, but in the real world, I use pounds. Um, but we want to think about the kilograms or pounds of feed that are consumed, and then we just divide that by the kilograms or pounds of eggs that are produced. So if you think about it, we want to put the, the numerator, that top number, the kilograms or pounds of feeds consumed. We want that number to be as small as possible. And the bottom number, the kilograms or pounds of eggs produced, We want to be as big a number as possible. And I think the fun part, and this is my nerdy side coming out here, but the fun part is if you know what the feed conversion ratio is for commercial poultry, so let's say for laying hens, it's usually around 2.0. So for every 2 kilograms or pounds of feed that birds consume, that our laying hens consume, we get about 1 kilogram of eggs out of those birds. So that's the 2.1 ratio. Now, in backyard birds and in free-range birds, that number is a lot higher. We don't exactly know how high, but we just know it's higher. Anecdotally, for the most part, there's not a lot of science on this. But we know it's higher, and there's nothing wrong with that. Most of the motivation for us having backyard chickens is not to be profitable and to um, be super efficient, but in the back of our mind, it might be kind of an interesting experiment as we raise our birds to see what kind of feed conversion we can actually get. And, um, again, if you think from the conventional poultry perspective, you're looking at a feed conversion ratio of about 2.0 for laying hens. So, again, two pounds of feed consumed for every one pound of eggs um, that we get. And on the broiler side, on the meat side of thing, the feed conversion ratio is about 1.6, meaning that we have to feed about 1.6 pounds of feed to get... Uh, one pound of meat out of those chickens. So so for birds, that's actually very efficient. So the only, this is a, always a question I'll ask students, um, this is a good trivia question, there's only one farmed animal that is more efficient than poultry when it comes to feed conversion ratio. And the answer to that is... Uh, fish. Um, and the reason fish are super, super, super efficient compared to every other animal, including poultry, their feed conversion ratios are closer to one and sometimes actually below one, believe it or not. You actually get more uh, food out of the bird than you're actually putting into them. And the reason that's so is because they're cold-blooded animals as opposed, um, uh, well, they're cold-blooded animals like birds, but, um, or no, they're, cold, they're, cold animal, they're, they're, they're cold-blooded animals unlike birds uh, the point being that the birds uh, have to waste a lot of energy, quote unquote, on keeping their body temperature different from the external environment. So that takes up some energy, and um, they've got the water column to support them. So they don't really have to—they um, don't have to deal with gravity in the same way that um, um, terrestrial animals do. So. The point being, though, that aside from, from birds, uh, aside from fish, excuse me, poultry are really, really efficient. And when, if you look at things like um, uh, ruminant animals and uh, swine, their feed conversion ratios <coughs> excuse me, are much, much higher. And there's nothing wrong with that per se, but it's just a, um, uh, a plug, if you will, for the efficiency of poultry. So how do we actually collect the data to get a feed conversion ratio? And... I want to kind of go over that a little, and then i'll I'll talk a little later on about other pieces of data that we could collect that are unrelated to fee conversion ratio that might be useful. And also um, how you can actually collect data. What are some of the nuts and bolts? obviously, a pen and a paper is one way to do that, but um, there are some really clever ways of doing things now, including one of the things one of the tools that I'll use, um, which are Google Forms, which are these online free, um, databases and or spreadsheets that you can uh, design in such a way that you can fill out the form on your, <coughs> excuse me, I'm battling a little cough here, you can fill out the form online, or you, um, excuse me, you can fill out the form on your on your phone when you're out with your backyard birds, and that uploads the data onto your cloud Google Uh, drive, and you can look at that data whenever you want and analyze it at night and work with your kids, for example, in order to figure out what feed conversion ratios are. So very briefly, when we think about the kilograms or pounds of feed consumed, how would we figure that out? Um, Because that's the first component of information that we need. And the way Mm -hmm. we typically figure that out in a conventional world is we know actually how much feed is actually the birds are, are consuming because we know how much feed is going into, um, into, the, into the house where you have, let's say, 10,000 birds or something like that. So in the conventional world, it's done automatically for us. In our world, it's not. So one of the things we have to do is come up with a system Um, to measure how much food is consumed. And it's going to be a little messy, there's going to be some air there, and that's okay because like like I've said before, we don't want to make perfect the enemy a good. But the reality is if we have a 10-pound bag of feed, um, we want to basically examine, let's say we figure out how many days it takes them to consume that 10-pound bag of feed, and then we divide that by the number of eggs that we got in um, that same period. Um, either by the weight of the eggs or just by the actual number of the eggs. And I'll give you a a slightly different calculation to do the number in a couple minutes. The point being, most of us realize and have seen when we look at our feeders, we see a lot of spillage, and there's a lot of problems with spillage. Uh, One problem is it can attract predators, um, and it can attract other rodents and other wildlife that are not predators that are going to eat the feed. That goes into that calculation. So. (laughs) one thing we can consider doing is trying to subtract out that wastage component in order to really bear down on what the actual feed conversion is. So one thing I've suggested, and we do this on our pasture poultry farm at UC Davis, we put a tarp out and we have on top of that tarp, we have our feeders and we capture um, how the excess feed that goes onto that tarp, that's wasted feed that the birds typically don't eat. And we weigh that mm-hmm. every day, and then we subtract that from the uh, kilograms of feed that are actually consumed, because that's not consumed. However, it's really important to keep track of that that, that wasted feed, because you can start figuring out how much wasted feed you actually have, um, unless you're somehow recycling that or you're assuming that the birds are going to get to that eventually. Um, you know, you're, you're losing a lot of feed there, and you have to realize, in the commercial poultry world, probably about 70% of the Um, costs of raising poultry is associated with feed costs. So in the commercial world, whether you have a pastured farm or whether you have a 2 million uh, laying hen caged operation, uh, figuring out ways to reduce wastage um, is going to facilitate profits and also facilitate um, efficiency. So one of the things you need to think about is, do I want to measure the wastage? Or do I want to just say, you know what, that feed either went in the birds or went on the ground, but I still had to pay for it, so I still want to calculate my feed conversion ratio based upon however many pounds of feed I put out there, whether it gets consumed by the birds or somebody else, I already paid for that. So I I want to calculate that in there. So big picture, you just want to be consistent. Um, But you have to realize that you lose a lot of feed. And I've talked to several backyarders for some reason that, that, that... prefer uh, instead of pelleted feed, which I think you have less feed wastage, at least our um, Mm -hmm. preliminary research at at, at Davis has shown that you get a lot less wastage using pelleted feed in laying hens as opposed to um, some of these mashes and flaky um, type of um, Mm -hmm. uh, feeds. Um, I I usually suggest to people that they use pelleted feed, which is what you should use, but I know other people have bantams and they've got all these other – uh, confounders that they want to use non-pelleted feed for. You still can use pelleted feed in bantams, but I know some people um, object to that. The, the disadvantage of not using pelleted feed is that you will have more feed wastage. That feed wastage issue can contribute, to, it can contribute to predators and other wildlife consuming that feed, which can contribute not only to mortality from predators, but also can contribute to disease transmission. Um, so um, the, 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 the first calculation is that really simple one, where we just measure the kilograms of feed consumed and we divide by the kilograms or pounds of eggs produced. That's the most simple kind of generic type of feed conversion ratio. You can measure that on a daily basis, like they do in the commercial industry, or if you have a life like a lot of us do and you, you can't do this every single day, do it over a week and compare every, you know, one... Uh, one week of every single month, you do this feed conversion ratio and you calculate what you get out of it, and that would be an interesting trend to observe. Um, You can imagine that during the winter months, depending on where you are, not all birds molt. Um, So you're still getting some eggs out of those birds during the winter months, but you can imagine egg production is probably going to go down a little. Um, Respiratory diseases in general hit us during the winter time, so you might have some underlying disease issues, um, whatever it be, um, you are going to have some seasonal effects there. And it would be interesting to start tracking that type of information and understanding, oh, yep, we're hitting the winter months, not as much light, more respiratory diseases are floating around, feed conversion ratio goes up around now. And you, know, you can imagine all kinds of interesting things that um, backyard citizen scientists, um, chicken enthusiasts could start measuring. They could compare different breeds to each other, um and 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 start coming up with some interesting observations about what works best for them um in their environment um because it's going to be a little different um in California where i am versus other parts of the country um based upon all kinds of factors especially environmental factors um including light for example so you know so that next- i oh, sorry go on.
0: i've noticed something really interesting touring um i think we've been in and have toured every state east of texas and it was really fascinating to see because a lot of times i'll ask questions back to the uh, audience when they're taking my workshops and i found that it seems more people in the south and southeast seem to use pellets and more folks in the midwest and northeast use crumbles it was really fascinating and and, and nobody—it's not like I, I think majority of the folks that that use the pellets just—that's what they always have. Are it can less waste, um, but it, yeah, it was fascinating. I've, I've really noticed that. I've mentioned it to Combach before. I've mentioned and, uh, I've mentioned it even to the the dealers that got because I asked them. Do also sell more crumble or more pellet based on what area of the country I'm in? And it's really I nothing official, but just something it ha- it's happened enough to where I've noticed um I couldn't exactly maybe align where maybe the Mason Dixon um but it's really uh, it was fascinating that the, the line of uh crumbles versus uh versus pellets. And I'm going to ask a question now before I forget. Um and this and just cuz it just popped into my head. <laughs> I was curious do some of and this probably wouldn't be high uh, for a smaller flock but some of the big boys out there when they're calculating this and they're looking at this and they see a not-so-pleasing feed conversion rate, whether it be meat or egg, uh, can that sometimes, is it sometimes factored? Could that sometimes be a first sign of some type of disease or illness that's starting in the
1: flock? Um, and yep, it, so that's a-
0: it, Okay, go ahead.
1: No, that's a great that's a great question, Andy. And and the short answer is yes. Um, in some situations, um, you know, you mentioned earlier Salmonella um, pullorum, and Salmonella pullorum um, is a high mortality disease in poultry, but is not zoonotic. Does not affect humans. Um, so um, we have looked at data in the past. I'm a veterinarian, but I also do a lot of data analysis. I'm an epi- I, I, I uh, have studied a lot of epidemiology. And absolutely, um, um, feed conversion ratio can be a predictor of disease status. And that makes sense. Um, when birds are sick, um, just like when any animal is sick, are they going to um, dedicate their energetic resources to producing eggs? or are they going to generate that, are they going to focus that energy on producing an immune response to counteract whatever disease process is going on? So absolutely, um, it's not only about profitability, uh, keeping track of feed conversion ratios, but it's also potentially an indicator of, of some diseases. Now other salmonella, like salmonella enteritidis, um, is the one that I think you were kind of alluding to a little earlier with the MPIP salmonella um, monitoring program. Um, Salmonella enteritidis does not cause the birds to be sick, but causes us to be sick. Um, Salmonella enteritidis, when they're carriers of that, for the most part, um, that they don't show any clinical signs. In chicks, they will sometimes, um, but for the most part, if they are carriers, and this is the, the problem with Salmonella enteritidis, is that your birds can be carriers of SE instead of saying that mouthful of Salmonella enteritidis. They can be carriers of SE, but they won't show any clinical signs. In that situation, feed conversion ratio probably doesn't change too much. Um, but, but a very good observation. Absolutely, that stuff like that can indicate uh, a bigger problem going on in the flock, and um, that's another reason why you'd want to collect that data and share that with, um, you know, folks like myself. If you're if you're working with me, for example. Um, okay. Great. So the next calculation that I'd go over, and I'm, not, I'm going to try to make this as, as, as painless as possible, because I know going over math over the, over the radio is probably not too good for uh, people listening on the radio. So I'll just bear with me for a couple more very simple calculations, and then we'll get back to more of the um, conversational, I think still relevant type stuff of data capture that hopefully won't uh, glaze, may, may make too many people fall asleep um so there is another way to calculate things if you do not um like weighing your eggs like the first calculation we were we were we were weighing the kilograms of feed which you still have to do but the denominator was kilograms or pounds of eggs produced so if you don't want to weigh that the other way to calculate it is uh feed efficiency per dozen eggs um that's the feed conversion ratio it's the same exact thing the only thing that you do it's kilograms of feed consumed times 12 divided by total eggs produced. Um, So that will give you the feed conversion ratio uh, per dozen eggs. Um, And in that situation, you want your feed conversion, and I'm using conventional numbers here, you want your feed conversion uh, ratio to be about 1.5 or less Remember, the lower you go, the better here, because you want the kilograms of feed number, that numerator, to be as small as possible. So that's just another iteration of a feed conversion ratio. If you don't like weighing eggs, you can actually calculate it per dozen eggs. Um, And then the last calculation I wanted to go over um, is if you sell your eggs. So if you sell your eggs to farmers' markets um, and things like that, you kind of want to figure out if you're profitable or not. And that sounds intuitive, but you would not believe how many small farmers I work with that really can't calculate whether they're profitable or not. Um, and that to me is fascinating because um, for those folks, especially a lot of small farmers, profitability is an essential component of, of you know, their, their business. Um, so the very simple calculation, and, and I think this would be kind of interesting for people to figure out, is your egg feed price ratio. So the numerator, the top number, is the total value of the eggs produced. Um, so that would be, how much are you selling your eggs for? Um, mm-hmm. And then the denominator would be the total value of the fee- feed consumed. So how much feed did you actually um, put into your, um, the, the cost of feed that you actually put into, you know, that week's number of eggs that you produce? Um, and that's where you want to figure out, the, hopefully that top number um, is above the bottom number. So you want a ratio of 1.0 or above at the, at the minimum. But you wouldn't believe how many producers don't really know that. And that, to me, is kind of fascinating. So most um, smaller farms, they sell their eggs at what the market will bear. And that's important because you can really only charge what the market will bear. However, if you are doing something for too long and it's not profitable, that can hurt you in the long run, obviously. So um, that's something that's important for the people out there, and, and we have a lot of them in California now, Um, that sell their eggs either on the side of the street or farmer's markets or have a local co-op or small market that they sell their eggs at. Um, So it's really important that they come up with some of these very simple ways, and there's a lot of value in these, I think, very simple calculations. And feed conversion ratio, as we talked about before, that's the number one cost that you really need to understand. You need to understand how efficient you are, um, because if you don't do that, literally 70% of the cost of raising birds is feed. So if you can understand inefficiencies there and profitability there, then that's the first step toward trying to improve those things. And it might be your feed conversion ratio is very high because there's a lot of feed wastage because maybe you're you're not using pelleted feed, for example. So there might be some very low-hanging fruit that you can start um, capturing um, as you try to improve your, your feed conversion ratio and hence incre- increase your, your profitability, if that's something that, that consumers are, are concerned about, or at the minimum, you're just trying to, to spend less on feed. Um, Got it. So, sorry. The next thing I wanted to go over is what are the nice ways to collect data? So um, when you're collecting feed conversion ratios and things like that, it's not hard to, to calculate these things. And, um There are some good online um, tools for that. But I wanted to kind of point out one way that you can collect all this information, and I'm going to go over some other pieces of information that you you may or may not want to collect. And a lot of this is really simple. I I, I don't want people to be overwhelmed by this. You can use the simple thing as a paper and pen. Um, There's nothing wrong with doing that. You, You just write down how much feed was consumed. For example, you write down if there's any mortality in your flock. You know, those are n- numerical answers. You write that down, and then later on, you, you bring it back home, and maybe you transcribe that into an Excel spreadsheet and, and do some division there. Or you just do it all on a calculator at home from that, uh, from that piece of paper. The other thing that I've worked with farmers on is Google Forms. So Google Forms are free. Um, so if you do have access to the Internet, which most of us do now, um, if you go onto Google Forms, it's a really it's free and an easy way to collect data about your flock and your farm. And um, you know the advantage is, rather than storing multiple paper sheets of farm data um, that are all over the place and smudged and have poop on them and all these other things, um, anyone with the form can uh, fill out the information literally on your smartphone um, about uh, egg counts or mortalities or your – your, your pasture health, if you have uh, pasture, um, all these type of things. You can fill that information out very easily just with, um, with, just with your smartphone. And that data is automatically uploaded to a spreadsheet in a Google Drive. And it's really easy to manipulate and share from there. Um, and I have a – if you type in uh, UC Davis and Pastor Poultry and go to our innovations link there – um, you'll see a, uh, a form that a student of mine wrote on how to utilize Google Forms to build any kind of form that you want to capture data. Um, and it's, again, a really nice way of being able to look at that data and, um, and, and, and look at that information and share that information with nece- as necessary with other, with other people. So I, I, I highly recommend the Google Forms, but whatever you use, as long as you're collecting the data that's, that's the most important part. and I know large, very large commercial farms that do not use Google Forms that still use the paper and pen, and they're doing just fine. so it's, it's, it's up to, up to the um, you know obviously up to the person what, what they prefer. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to just briefly touch on some other types of data that people should collect in my mind, in addition to um feed conversion um as you collect feed conversion that's two pieces of information at the minimum one is the amount of feed that's going in the birds and the second one is the amount of eggs or the weight of the eggs coming out of the birds and again don't don't kill yourself on this you want to do you don't have to do it every single day like some of the conventional folks do but you want to do it You know, periodically, is it once a season that you want to do it over a week? Um, It could be, I think, a really nice kind of um, piece of information just to have, just to understand um, the differences. And, you know, one thing you have to be aware of is the numbers I gave you. I gave you the feed conversion ratio in laying hens of about two and feed conversion in broilers of about 1.6. The reality is, those birds are raised in much different conditions than our backyards are. And there's, a, there's, there's you know, we, we're completely aware of that. Most of the people that have backyard birds understand that, um, but realize that the conventional commercial poultry industry, their primary goal is to, is to sell food, um, not just at a profit, but very efficiently, um, and to use as little feed as possible. So their feed conversion ratios, their, their breed selection, their environmental control of the barns, it's all focused on health and optimizing feed conversion ratio. And those two things are linked to each other. So just be aware, those numbers you probably will not get to in your backyard. And that's fine because there's different motivations for why people have backyard birds and why people have conventional birds. So a couple other pieces of data which are important to collect in my mind. One is light. So um, as everyone probably knows, in general you need about 14 to 16 hours of light in your laying hens in order for them to produce an egg every 25 hours. Um, we are in the winter time in the northern hemisphere. In California, our winter solstice, we get about nine and a half hours of light that day. and um, Before that, you know, we are obviously, during the wintertime, we get below that 14 to 16 hours of light, and I'm sure other parts of the country are very similar. So one of the things that people have to consider is, do they want to offer supplemental light to their birds in order to increase egg production? Some people just want the birds to go through their natural um, cycles and molting cycles, and some birds molt, some birds don't molt. Egg production goes down during the winter, typically. Um, But it's nice, you can go on to... Uh, some really nice websites that will show you the amount of light you will get at your latitude and longitude. And if you want, you can kind of figure out, you can not only you know, capture in your data set, you can, you can record how much light the birds are getting approximately because it doesn't. a lot of these websites, if not most of them, do not account for cloud cover. So they're assuming that you're getting complete sunlight during that day. But you can start calculating how much additional light you may want to give those birds. And um, that's an important thing to consider. If you do that, um, it's really easy to subtract out from you know, 15 hours of light uh, versus minus 10 hours, how much additional light you want to give those birds. Um, if you do that, you can include that in your spreadsheet and kind of have an idea about how much additional light you want to give those birds. The only management thing I would mention is that the two things you want to watch for when you give supplemental light to birds, if you give them too much light, you will get more double-yoked eggs. So um, one thing to kind of look out for and another piece of data to collect is how many double yokers do you get? Interesting tidbit of information, double yoked eggs are actually illegal to sell, um, I think, because um, the amount of cholesterol in a double yoked egg is obviously twice as much as the amount of cholesterol in a single yoked egg. And I think the nutritional information on the back mm-hmm. of a carton of eggs doesn't uh, capture that. Um, so you want to watch out for double yokers because that's usually a sign that they're getting too much light. And the other thing you want to look out for is uh, prolapse of their reproductive tract. So you'll see um, the tissue um, uh, prolapsing or coming out of their cloaca. And those are the two things that you want to kind of keep an eye on. And, again, that's a great piece of data to capture. If you are going to give supplemental light to your birds, um, you're you're kind of driving them a little too much if you're seeing those two things. So the the, the nice part about Google Forms or any type of – a spreadsheet that you're going to make, whether it's pen and paper, whether it's a spreadsheet on Excel, is that you you come up with the data that you want to capture. And some of the data you capture, and this is a really important point, I think, to make, does not have to be numerical. Some of it could be, you know what, <clears throat> I heard this kind of, I heard tracheal rails in my flock. It means I heard kind of a gurgling sound in my flock. You don't have to have a number for that. You can just have that as a kind of an anecdotal note there. And that's really important to capture because, Let's say two weeks later, things have gotten a lot worse. Then you can talk to your veterinarian and say, you know what? I heard something about two weeks ago. And that can help veterinarians like myself give us an idea about maybe what disease we're dealing with um, because we can start kind of extrapolating, okay, it took this long for uh, the whole flock to get infected. You know, maybe we're dealing with a mycoplasma infection or something like that. So um, you can see just from light how we can decide all this extra data that we might want to start capturing and, and how hopefully how useful it is if we want more eggs or even just the interesting observation of what happens as light goes up and down with our feed conversion ratio. Um, so if those folks that are out there that have kids or teachers, I think there's a lot of interesting opportunities there to collect that data. And I will be the first one to tell you, we just don't know in backyard birds um, how much of the information and science from commercial poultry extrapolates to to backyard birds so we we need people and citizen scientists to kind of help us with this kind of stuff even if it's in one backyard flock that we're getting this information i think there's really real value in that um in figuring out what breeds work well and 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 things like that in 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 specific flocks
0: cool um that, that was one of my questions i was is there, is there a formula that someone's come up with yet stating that, well, in the winter time, <laughs> uh with, with the reduced light, you might see a 20 per 5, 20? But you kind of answered my question. That the that the information is just not there based on what you might see. And I know there would be a gazillion variables to that, but I just wasn't sure if there was. But you answered that as one of my questions I had written down here. I was uh, wonder if there's kind of a generic uh, percentage of, you'll probably see this egg loss over the winter months because of the light, uh, decreased light issue. But, um, yeah, that would be a great, great study for someone to do.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't know off the top of my head. I'm sure if you talk to, you know, some of the, uh, large commercial organic and free-range farms that sell to the the Costcos and the Targets of the world—they can give you kind of a guesstimate. Um, a lot of those places do give supplemental light, um, but the supplemental light thing—you you can get pretty clever with. And in our on our farm, we have sensors that detect how much light is that the birds are actually receiving. Because right now we're, we're dealing with a, a huge uh, thunderstorm in California. And sure, if I look online, I might calculate that they're getting 10 hours of light, but I can guarantee you today they're not really seeing much sunlight at all. So the nice thing about some of these sensors that are really inexpensive um, is that if you really wanted to get kind of fancy, you can have those sensors deployed in, uh, right outside of your coop so they can figure out how much sunlight they're getting, and then you can kind of calculate how much additional light you truly need um, with your uh, supplemental light. Um, so there are some pretty fancy tools that are starting to come out, and, and again, they're really inexpensive. I think we've really reached this uh, interesting point where, um, especially for, you know, some of these traditional farming techniques where we can really use technology to uh, promote uh, some best practices on those farms with respect to management. The other calculation I wanted people to kind of be, be aware of um, is something called uniformity. Um, and uniformity is just we want to make sure our flock, and this is a commercial term, but I think there's some value in this because if we have good uniformity, that means uh, in the commercial world that we don't have too much crowding, we don't have disease, uh, vaccines are effective, um, that welfare issues are addressed. Um, it, it implies a lot of different, different things. And just briefly, um, uniformity is we, we really want to calculate what the, the average weight of the flock is. Um, so we, we, we weigh individual birds. So if we have 10 birds, you know, it's really easy to weigh 10 birds. Well, relatively easy because they're running around and all those type of things. But we weigh those birds, and then we, let's say we, we calculate the birds out to be, let's say, a pound or something like that. So then we measure what a tenth of a pound is and then we add on 10%, on. we we subtract 10% from that pound and add on 10% from that pound, and hopefully as many birds in our flock as possible, hopefully at least eight of the birds are within that range of 0.9 to 1.1 pounds if that makes sense. The goal is if we have good uniformity, that means all of our birds are relatively the same size, and, and this only is relevant if we're raising a flock together from, 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 as their chicks. Obviously, if we have a chick and we have an adult bird, the uniformity there is going to be um, um, not appropriate to compare to each other. But if, for those of us that do hatch our own flocks, that's a really important thing to measure because, as I said, uniformity is really linked to um, things like, uh, if we have poor uniformity, it's usually linked to crowding, disease, um, poor, um, poor husbandry practices, lack of purchase, um, inadequate nutrients and energy intake, all those type of things. So, again, if you're interested in understanding how to calculate things like uniformity, fee conversion ratio, we have it on that UC Davis Pastor poultry uh, innovation section and <clears throat> excuse me and and those are good things to start learning how to to capture because as you kind of implied earlier Andy um feed conversion ratio is not just about feed conversion it's also about a whole host of other things so if you have some of these indicators of disease for example or poor husbandry practices the earlier that you can figure that out the better it's going to be and and that's really where i think a lot of these these tools can really come in um, and, and it can help us, I think, in, a, in, a, in several ways as far as really trying to improve uh, welfare issues, uh, food safety issues, disease management issues, uh, and, and a whole host of other uh, husbandry-type issues. So I really think those. The, if, if I had my, my druthers and I was going to say, okay, what, what should people be capturing? If you are hatching a flock, uniformity should be at the top of your list. If you have layer or broiler birds, feed conversion ratio should be at the top of your list. In a general sense, we should be capturing uh, light if you're interested in trying to figure out what other factors might be affecting our feed conversion ratio aside from feed, because feed conversion ratio, again, that was 70% of, of the cost of the birds, and that's not the only explanatory variable on why birds will go into lay or not go into lay. Um, so just be aware that there's, there's a lot of this data is really powerful, and if you are able to capture it over, you know, months and seasons, um, we can really start understanding what's, what's normal and what's abnormal.
0: Yeah, I think that's it's important. I have um, I've, I've never even attempted to do that with any of my flocks, whether I had big, small, different breeds um, in a more hot climate, cool climate, because um, at the end of the day it was like, hey, I didn't run out of eggs this week, so we're good. <laughs> <Or something, laughs> right, right. You know, a lot of times, a lot of the years, it was just me and Jen, and we normally had a boatload of chickens. So even in the winter, we didn't add a light, we didn't need to, we had the number of chickens, uh, you know, we're producing enough eggs for just the two of us, and then now that we've got the four of us, then, you know, I tell folks it's like, well, you know, if you have a family of six and you have six chickens, you'll probably be buying some eggs through the winter months. But if you have a family of six, have 60 chickens and you'll probably be okay through the winter uh, <laughs> the, and whatnot. So, but um, yeah, we can encourage folks to, the, the more they can be involved with their flock. And like you said earlier, just knowing that, you know, um, like uh, Peter Brown often says on the show, a five gallon bucket, may be one of your best tools to turn it upside down and sit on it
1: and observe your flock
0: on a regular basis.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> like you said, that's yeah, a good point. To
0: get to get that norm and, 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 and all the other information. But this is good. There's a lot of people, they hear the term, um, and, and they kind of have an idea of what it's about. But um, at the end of the day, they're not sure how, how important it is to do so, how can it benefit them. And and you explained all of those on, on the show today. I often, I want to make sure you agree with this as well, because it, it sometimes um, <clears throat> sparks a little bit of a, a debate uh, online. <clears throat> and most of the poultry professionals I've had on the show agree with the fact that it's prob- it shouldn't probably be your first choice when it comes to feeding your flock to go outside once a day when you get home from work and dump two scoops of feed onto the ground for your flock and then say, there you go, that's what you're getting, and just do- get-, get in that routine. Um, <clears throat> our understanding over the years is that your flock, in, in most all cases, will eat less, and um, if you provide for them in a feeder... Uh, feed for them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, You know, or at least during the daytime hours. So a lot of people will not put it in the coop, but they'll just say, hey, morning to night, it's available, um, versus just kind of the daily, how much do you all give your chickens? I give them one scoop a day or two scoops a day. And, and trying to explain sometimes to those folks that, you know, they will actually probably in most case, eat less. If you just fill up that, you know, that 15-pound feeder and have it hanging in there under cover so the rain doesn't rain or whatever, um, it's hard for them sometimes to grasp that being there's feed for them all the time. How are they going to eat less um, yeah. once they kind of get get used to that? What's what's your census on that that topic very, very quick versus the once a day, there you go, see you later, um, versus having that food readily available to them um, most all day.
1: Well, if I understand your question and and extrapolating from the kind of commercial, conventional industry, um, you want to have 24-7 access to food and water. Um, Uh That's how you're going to become the most productive However, coming out there often is, is useful in order to just briefly, you, you want to make sure that you don't have feed wastage issues. That is a huge issue that we're just starting to um, measure in some of these commercial, non-conventional farms. Um, we really need to understand how much of the increase in feed conversion ratio is related to feed wastage and how much of it is related to um, husbandry practices that are, you know, unique to these type of farms. If that answers your question.
0: Sure. One more question, too, and, and I know you touched on it a little bit earlier about sometimes the difficulty working with uh, "quote unquote" uh, pasture-raised or free-range flocks. Um, is is the material that you've seen or researched? Um, does it really show a dramatic decrease in um, food intake if if they're If they're out at pasture all day, you know, the grass and the. I mean, I know some poultry nutritionists have have told me, you know, I just got to get my hands on it. There is information out there, studies that show that really at the end of the day, they need that. They can't just, okay, there you go. They need that supplemental feed, that supplemental commercial pellets, the the crumbles, whatever, back at kind of their, their home place where they come home at night, that they just really can't be full potential uh are just you know eating grass all day out in the field and, and some bugs they really need that extra um to be a good healthy uh, chicken but my I guess my question for you is um the um the fee, do from what you've seen do the pasture do they really save i mean if you a lot of money and on their feed bill have been having them out at pasture and have eating bugs and things or would it be a dramatic increase uh, in savings, or, or I guess I should say decrease in, in food that they would purchase, um, same amount of birds versus uh, maybe not doing that?
1: Yep, so another, another really good question, Andy. So um, short, briefly, I don't, I don't know the specific sure. answer to that based on the literature. However, um, I do, just from talking to farmers, and this is a study that we're trying to start, uh, from talking uh-huh. to farmers anecdotally, um, it does seem that that, does supl- it, that, that being on pasture does displace some of their feed demand from their uh, normal corn soy um, um, ration that they get. However, as you said. Those rations are made. Those commercial rations are very specific in order to um, promote growth, give them the proper amounts of energy um, in order to produce eggs and be healthy. So they need to get the majority of their calories from that. But you can you displace some of the calories by giving them um, by having them on pasture? Absolutely. I think there's a consensus that that's true. However, from a cost perspective, does that reduction in feed cost is that right. um, made up by Pasture care and by the extra uh, land that those birds are housed on, um, my guess is it's probably still it. It might be a wash, or it could actually you, you could potentially even be at more of a loss potentially. But I don't I don't know the answer to that. But absolutely, um, you can displace right. some calories that way. But the majority of their calories still need to come from feed, and that's where a lot of backyarders went into trouble um, when they tried to kind of get cute with rations and give them um, too many uh, kitchen scraps um, that are displacing. Right their feet and then you have a lot of shell problems and a lot of other reproductive problems.
0: And too many treats, guy. we've talked to that too, we're blue in the face, too many treats, uh, not enough of you know, nutrition balanced rations. So, all righty, well, it's a little bit after three, so we're going to um, wrap it up. Great, great show. First time, I think, in eight years we've specifically talked about this and I'm glad we did because it's something where people may have uh, just heard the term or had a general understanding, but now hopefully it opened up uh, to a much more broad understanding and, and maybe even got some people to say, you know what, I'm going to try this, I'm going to do this because it can help me in all these ways that um, Maurice talked about during during the show. So hopefully uh, there will be a lot of listens and uh, we'll get some feedback on it. So thanks for coming on the show today. We appreciate it and we look forward to having you back. Look at my calendar here, I guess uh, the second, I guess the ninth of um February and we'll have another great topic then I appreciate it
1: sounds good thanks for having me again Andy I appreciate it
0: great thank you very much for uh, coming on the show we'll be back right after this Tasty Grubs by Tasty Worms Nutrition are the original dried black soldier fly larva made right here in the USA Tasty Grubs are high in protein and calcium vital nutrients for laying hens customers have reported an increase in shell quality egg taste and a reduction in molting time For a limited time, get a bag of Tasty Grubs 100% free. Simply enter tastyworms.com forward slash whisper into your web browser and add one to your cart today. Save 10% on all other products, such as dried mealworms, by entering the coupon code whisper at checkout. That's tastyworms.com forward slash whisper. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pins, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pins for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfge.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A All com. All right, thank you very much for staying with us uh, today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisper brought to you by our good friends. Over at Kalmbach Feeds. And uh, you know, it just occurred to me as I was going through the commercials that I didn't play uh, the um, commercial segment before I brought Dr. Pateski on the show. So um, I want to just mention a couple of these uh, real quick. Actually, if you heard, the first commercial was the uh, Tasty Grubs. And if you go back and listen to that commercial, there is a website you can go to, to to get an absolutely free sample bag of those grubs uh, from Tasty Worms Nutrition, sourced from the USA, um, and you can get a completely free bag. You don't have to pay for shipping. You just fill out the form, add it to your cart, uh, and then um, they'll no anything, uh, no cost to you, zero, and they'll send it out to you One. So also today I saw through my email, <laughs> and if you go on Facebook or you can contact them, Ideal Poultry, out of Cameron, Texas. You can go to uh, idealpoultry.com. They've got a, a huge sale. In fact, uh, <laughs> they sent out an email blast with some some deals on some bantams and I think maybe some ducks. Uh, and then maybe within the hour, I got another email blast from them uh, talking about you know reduced price. So apparently. They said, "Ooh, we're gonna uh, hatch out, or they're hatching great. We're gonna have some extras, so let's reduce the price even more." So, uh, if you're interested, and, and normally they'll run bantams for a twenty-five or even a dollar a piece uh, over at Ideal Poultry, so you can go check them out as well. And uh, of course, uh, GQF. I didn't get to their commercial today, but um, they've been a sponsor for a long time, and a lot of you are familiar with the uh, styrofoam tabletop incubators that they have. And uh, there's a great product I want to talk to you about, uh, the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Well, Crazy K Farm, who has that, they also have one called, the, I believe it's the Birdie Booty. And so if you're ever dealing with bumble foot or a foot injury, they have a booty. Uh, don't worry about the, the gauze and the tape and all that because it's just going to get nasty. It's going to get dirty. They're going to peck it off, pick it off. It's going to fall off. But they have a special Birdie Booty. Um, that goes on the feet designed for your chickens uh, if you have that injury to keep that foot clean, keep that wound clean. Keep, you know, It's an awesome, awesome product if you have that foot injury. I want to talk to you a little bit uh, about that. And then because it's cold, the sweeter heater, ditch those dangerous heat lamps, folks. I've already posted a gazillion fires this year from dangerous heat lamps. Um, spend the money. Your flock is worth it. Uh, and check out the Sweeter Heater at sweeterheater.com. If you must heat your flocks, in most all cases, no chickens, even in Alaska, need heaters in their coop, okay? But if, for whatever reason, you decide you want to heat your uh, coop a little bit, then do it safely so it doesn't burn down. You lose all your chickens and burn your neighbor's house down, too. Um, And take a look at the uh, Sweeter Heater at SweeterHeater.com. So, um, hey, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next Thursday uh, with uh, poultry scientist and professor Dr. Bridget McCray. And uh, we might be able to share some awesome news. I mean, awesome news with Dr. McCray as she moves down and takes a job at Auburn University. Great poultry science university, and uh, we are collaborating on a project right now that w- is just going to be awesome. It's going to be absolutely awesome. So we hopefully we can uh, launch that here in 2017. So, um, But, hey, tune in next week. We may have that announcement for you, and we appreciate you tuning in. Visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com. com. righty, go check that out, and uh, we appreciate you tuning in today. Uh, on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you. by.
1: Kalmbach Feeds. Kalmbach. 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 Kalmbach.
0: From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K A L M B A C H Feeds .com or order today on Amazon .com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> we <laughs>